welcome to episode three of The Follow Podcast, an honest and open conversation for people who are actively learning to live like Jesus. We are in season one, continuing our dangerous conversations uh, based on our current teaching series, Is the Bible a Dangerous Book? I am sitting here with Pastor Jonathan Smith <laughs> once again. And, Hi, guys. Uh, we're, we have a great conversation lined up with uh, with today's talk, uh, well, this week's talk on the series uh, as a launching point. Now, we're going to go a lot of places, but um, if you miss the teach, you might want to head over to our YouTube page or to our website, find find the the, uh, the talk that Pastor Keith gave us this week. And uh, he talked about the 8,810 promises that we find in the Bible, and he had three great points. I'm just going to touch on them, and then we're going to dive into some some questions. Uh, one, has Jesus fulfilled or expanded this promise? So when you're reading the promises, mm. that's a good question to ask yourself too. Is this promise for my life or for somebody else? What a great question. And three, am I ready to handle the fulfillment of God's promise? Now that one we're going to come back to. We're going to talk about Joseph's life. Looking forward to that. But why don't we just start with promises? Uh, I love how Pastor John. Pastor Jonathan. Yeah. I love how Pastor Keith talked about fortune cookie promises. What a perfect image. We're just looking for like, a, you will have many children. You will have a happy life. When we're looking for the sweet kind of taste in our mouth, the honey promises. Um, but uh, he also unpacked a lot of that, uh, a lot of promises or, or even Proverbs, things that get taken out of context. I'm sure as a pastor for how many years now? Oh, 31, 31, 31 years, years yeah, yeah. of being a pastor. You've probably heard a few that rise to the top of promises or things that people think are for them that maybe they take out of context. Are there any that come to the top for you? Yeah, I, I like that idea of fortune cookie. I like, I always call them lucky dip uh, <laughs> scriptures. And we're looking, and I listen, let's be benevolent here in that we're all looking for a little bit of hope in life. Yeah. And I think everybody has struggles and difficulties. And so, we go to God's scripture, and there's such a temptation uh, to take a shortcut. And that's right. what kind of lucky dipping or fortune cookie promises can do. They can be a bit of a shortcut to get, and sometimes they lead to a lot of disappointment too, because it wasn't actually a promise for you, right. or isn't actually a promise for us right now, but um, maybe it was, you know, and Pastor Keith did a great job of contextualizing how, how we look at it, but probably the one that's uh, I find most problematic that I've heard many people over the years that I've pastored claim as a promise, and it's a proverb. Okay. And of course, a proverb is not a book of promises. It's a book of wise sayings. Right. So, What's uh, the difference? So a proverb is the likelihood of, hey, this is the, this is the way, uh, if you practice life this way, this is the likelihood of the outcome. So it's a wisdom book. Mm. I love proverbs. I read it every year. I like that it's uh, uh, has a chapter for every day of the month, and I'll often go through it. And like I've done that with my boys when they're young, I had them uh, go through proverbs, and we would go through it as a family because there's a lot of pain you can avoid in life by just living a wise life. So it's right. a great one. But there's a pro- proverb that says, "Train up a child in the way that they should go." So train them up in the things of the Lord and stuff, and they won't depart from it. And I'll hear people and. I, my heart goes out to them because maybe someone in their family has chosen a different path and they claim that as a promise, but it's a wise saying, not a promise. And it also leads to a ton of guilt at, at times. I, I've i met with family members who maybe their children have chosen a different path. And I've, I have to go back to the garden and say, you know, was God a good parent? Right. Yeah, God's right. a great parent. Didn't he set the table for all the right conditions for his children, Adam and Eve, <laughs> To, to choose right. And yet, even under his parental authority, they chose their own authority. Right. And I think a lot of parents live with a lot of guilt. And it doesn't mean that you don't care for your kids. And listen, I, I, I pray for my children. They need to make their choices in life right. autonomously and separate it from me. And that's what they do as they move into adulthood. But I think that's a wise saying. That's not a promise. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. one. Okay, that's a big one. How and, about you? Uh, yeah. Um, well, there's there's one that I think I've heard a lot and actually in a couple situations has actually been kind of damaging to someone who's already in pain. Mm. And that uh, it's the idea that if you aren't healed, 
when someone prays for you, you should be healed. And if you aren't healed, it's because there's sin in your life. Uh, and mm. I think this is based on some some of the Psalms or, or different moments when when there's there's a there's a nugget of truth in there, and I think that's why it's it's um, so dangerous. Uh, Psalm thirty eight says, uh, verse three: There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. This I don't know what translation I chose here. It sounds kind of <laughs> formal here. When uh, there is no health in my bones because of my sin, so uh, we have that kind of idea that that there is a lack of health that we experience because of our sin. And that's true sometimes. Like if if you are okay, like just a, off the top of my brain, if you are uh, abusing uh, substances, you will have pain in your body. Right. That's a really easy A B. If you jump off a cliff, you will get hurt. Right. Um, so there is some of those those consequence moments that we have, but uh, I think when when we experience something like a cancer or something like that, yeah. and I've I've heard people come for prayer and and there's an expectation to to be healed. Now I think. Uh, we we chatted really quickly. Sometimes it's people taking uh, a, a verse in First Peter out of context, right? Yeah, I think that the verse that you're talking about is First Peter two twenty four, where it talks about uh, the atonement and Jesus bearing our sins on the tree, uh, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And it, and it tags on the next line: "By His wounds you have been healed." Right. And of course, there's an Old Testament prophet that says, "By His wounds we are healed." Isaiah. And I think I've heard Christians over the years talk about healing in the atonement, which I believe there's healing in the atonement. Uh, but can, can you unpack that though? That's, those are some big theological words. Oh, what is healing in the atonement? What does that mean? So the the atonement is is uh, Christ's sacrificial death on our behalf, right? To break the hold of sin and death in our lives, and that there's healing in the name of Jesus, and so it's available to to all. And yet, you know, I, I've noticed over the years some people are healed. Right, and some people are not, and I think it's very interesting that I think when when you build a theology based on outcomes, Ooh. then you need this to say that there's always healing. Right, you need it to say that, and but if you build like faith is very interesting. If you build a faith based on protection, it'll be fear, guilt, and outcome wow. focused. If you build a faith based on connection. It'll be based around love and relationship. Very right. different. And I would say uh, the temptation is always to build faith around protection because right. our fears drive us and, and it drives us to lucky dip and all kinds of things. Yeah. If it's based on connection, perfect love casts out all right. fear. You recognize that even in First Peter, when it says, by his wounds, you have been healed, the context there is spiritual healing mm. and eventual healing. Okay, eventual healing meaning in someday, heaven. all evil will be eradicated. Someday, everything, all the bad things that have happened to you and been taken from you, Matt, will be returned to you. That all, con- the concept of now and not yet. Sometimes it breaks. Yeah. Heaven breaks through a little bit. Exactly. So, uh, uh, Doctor Van Johnson, yeah. uh, you know, uh, a great friend of our church and a, a tender in our church, he'll often talk about those miraculous moments being like a, a movie trailer. Right. They point to the epic movie that will come. Right. Someday. And so every time we do experience or see healing in this life, they it the end goal is not that healing because eventually all of those healings are undone mm. because right. Lazarus dies. Yeah. Yes. Everything gets undone eventually. But they're pointing to the significance of them is they're pointing to what creation should be. Right. What creation could be. So I think there's danger in claiming certain things, but I, in our humanity, I'm not hard on people because I do understand you're looking for hope. You're reaching for things in those moments. That's why the you, you in your opening, you talked about uh, this podcast for those actively learning to live like Jesus. Right. It's in the abiding in Jesus that it deepens your love and your connection to him. So even when these things come at us, the big C, cancer, all those things, yeah, yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean it doesn't shake us, right? but it doesn't destroy us. Mm. Because to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, we know that. We, you know, uh, Pastor Keith will often say, you, you can't, can't kill, kill a Christian, Christian. You, you can, can only, only relocate them. them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, uh, but those are not just like uh, rah-rah words. Yeah, I believe them with all my heart. 
Yeah. And I need to anchor myself in the uh, the outcomes of eternal outcomes that God promises us, not the temporary ones. Now, you've you've seen people practice this though, right? I have, like yeah. what's the what's the difference when someone is anchoring their life to the, the I'm sorry, I remember the fear-based one versus the relationship-based yeah. one. Like I've seen it in my life. I'm seeing it right now with a couple of different people in my life. Uh, the difference between those choices, when they get hit with a storm, what do you, like, what Protect, have you seen? Protection or connection. Yeah, protection. So connection. is it a protection faith or a connection faith? If it's a protection faith, uh, people are easily shipwrecked. Right. It actually builds less resilience. Um, uh, and it's more, your faith is more transactional in nature. Mm. So like we have a friendship, Matt, yeah. And if it was transactional, it would be based on how you treat me and, and right. it'll determine how I treat you. <laughs> right. And if I do be this for you, score. well, if I do this for you, I'm expecting you'll do this for me. Right. If it's a connection-based relationship, listen, I, I love you and I'm for you and your family. And and I, I, I will have moments where I might be disproportionately serving into your life. Right. Or I may have moments where I have to humble myself and receive. Right. Because it's a relationship. There's community here. Uh all I'd say is I grew up in protection-based faith, mm. and it was a lot of guilt, a lot of fear that gripped my life. A lot of scripture was transactional in nature as opposed to based on connection in nature. So even when you're reading the Old Testament, New Testament, if it's reading around protection-based, you're looking for things for you all the time. You're not looking for Jesus. Mm. Now, that might be harsh, and someone might want to push back and say, no, I'm looking for Jesus too. But but we we've created a transactional relationship with Jesus, right? And so that's why I'm lucky dipping, mm. trying to get the gold in our relationship. I'm a friend with you because you come with benefits, kind of thing. And the the difference is in a connection based relationship. I'm not trying to get your hand. I'm trying to understand your face. I'm trying to understand who you are, not just what you give. That makes sense. Totally. Yeah. So you grew up in that that environment, and even that was the context of your faith at one point. Yeah, it was pretty rough. Like, I mean, <laughs> I think a lot of people in our tradition have grown up a bit in that yeah. environment. And our tradition has so many strengths, Matt, but like uh, there was almost a sense of you had church when you felt beaten up by the pastor. Yeah, right. When you felt like you were no good, blah, 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 man, the Holy Spirit was there. <laughs> and it creates uh, psychologically and neurologically it creates the context for us experiencing God is usually a hyped up moment. Mm. It could be hyped up on the enthusiasm and inspirational moment, which who doesn't love that? I love it too. Yeah. It could be hyped up on the on the guilt and condemnation moment. Either way, they're manipula- manipulation tools. We got to be right. careful with them. It doesn't mean that we don't experience inspirational, enthusiastic moments with God. We do. I mean, his presence is real yeah. and, Hopefully and palatable. Every almost. Exactly. Like yeah. I, I love one of the things I love about our gatherings is people are leaning in to experience God. They didn't come to hear me. They didn't come yeah. to <laughs> hear you and your gatherings team lead us in worship. They came to meet with God, and I love that's the best of our tribe. Right. There's an expectancy. We're leaning in. God is here. God could do anything. But I, I think our 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 Achilles heel sometimes is. Uh, the teaching of scripture and others, if they're not always, if we don't tie up everything with a neat bow that makes everyone leaving feeling good, right? maybe we didn't have church. Or if we didn't tie up with a bow that, bow that makes you leave feeling like wretched, maybe we didn't have church. Right. You know, if you preach on sin, oh, good preaching pastor. <laughs> <You know what? laughs> but, but there are so many moments in our tradition, I wish we could feel the weight of scripture and have a sila moment, you know, right. to borrow a Hebrew word. You right. kind of leave just pondering and thinking and meditating and rehearsing throughout the week. What is God speaking to me through this? Right. And and uh, there's a, I think there's uh, a lot in there when we have an expectancy for that to be the case. We read scripture expecting every every verse or every chapter to have a conclusion, to have a, a right. moral to it, like uh, like uh, it's of Aesop's fables or something like that, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, I think too. You know, I've been a, a Christian for a long time, so have you, Matt, and you've probably have experienced this, and I'm sure people listening have experienced this too. Sometimes uh, scripture that has very little meaning to me, and it was just kind of like I'm going through it. 
in a different era and chapter in my life, uh, it becomes one of the driving things in my life. Right. It speaks so intimately to me where I'm at. And that's why I never want to make this just an academic experience. Right. When we we have the privilege, and this is with this whole series, my heart behind it, Matt, that we wouldn't treat the scriptures with reverence. We'd reserve that for Jesus. Right. He's the one we revere. Right. He's the one we worship. This is this is paper. This is paper. Mm-hmm. But we would treat the scripture with more respect. Mm. And by that I mean context matters. Right. Don't don't use we and abuse use the scripture. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Treat it with more respect. There's something larger going on than what's going on in my life at this time. And yet it speaks to my life at this time. But treat it with more respect is what I'm hoping we do out of this. You mentioned that there's seasons in your life where you you have found uh, a scripture come alive that was kind of just in the background before. Do you? And does anything come to mind? I've got one that comes to mind for me. Throw it out. Uh, I was I was in a season. Uh, I wasn't going to school for something that uh, I could do, but it, I could see my career path. It was gonna it was gonna be a mess for me. Right. And uh, I was really worried about money. And uh, I was reading through Proverbs and. I think it's Proverbs 20 something 11. Uh, the the blessing of Lord brings wealth, but he adds no trouble to it. And I I, like, I remember telling my dad and and he was like, oh yeah, you want the, he was like, you like that one because it's about prosperity. <laughs> uh, but there was uh, something that was so liberating to me in that, that God had no strings attached to his provision and in the context of Proverbs too, there was so much like the lazy man can put his hand in the bowl and right. can't feed himself. Right. The lazy man turns on his bed like a hinge on a door. Right. Like there's so much of that in that the healthy balance. But I was feeling like there were strings attached to, to provision in my life. And I realized that if I work hard and I'm, I'm astute, I'm not just going to go chasing fairy tales. If I work hard, God will provide for me. And I, I realized that there was fear in my life over making the right choice. And that was a real liberator moment for me. And I held, held on to that for well, a while. Well, I mean, I, I actually saw you in that chapter of your life, uh, swinging from the sciences to the arts. Yeah. And I know that for your, your, I'm sure your parents and others around you, it feels like, and it can feel like for many people, like a less secure, the arts are not uh, <laughs> known as a secure path, oh, but you yeah, know, the, the way God has led you, Matt, that's pretty, pretty neat. Like I, one scripture that comes to mind to me is a popular quote at one, I think a great one that Jesus gives us, you know, seek first yeah. my kingdom and, and, his, uh, and his righteousness, and I'll add whatever yeah. it might be that you might need in your life. And I, I remember the year or the moment when and his righteousness stood out to me. Because uh-huh. I, I felt like, yeah, I'm seeking you, God, and add everything. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and that righteousness is, I like to define righteousness as a right standing with God. Mm. And so there's nothing between me and God. And uh, as opposed to legalism and holiness that would kind of uh, make it a, a list of rules. So right, seek checklist. me and keep every bit of my yeah. rules and I'll add <laughs> everything luck. to you. And I recognize my own frailty because, you know, I think we may have even talked about it in week one. I'm not like Paul in scripture. Right. One of the things about, and I think a lot of type A people like Paul, which I get because he's very ordered. He's very self-disciplined. You can see it in scripture. He ties on his hyssop. <laughs> exactly, and and he's a chief among Pharisees. Right. Like this man is a very very impressive. Honestly, Paul is a very impressive human being, intellectually disciplined, uh, wise. His work ethic, uh, so much to admire there. But you know, I'm more like maybe Peter or something. <laughs> right. Like you know, uh, I'm not as disciplined as someone like Paul is, and so you have those moments where. Uh, you recognize uh, the striving for righteousness would always feel like you're falling short. And the fact is, even Paul and everyone does fall short. Right. And this is where grace has to make up the difference. But it was more of a, um, for me, the scripture came alive in that I realized that it's keeping short accounts with God, mm. allowing the Holy Spirit to search my heart, see what vile wickedness that may lay in there. Because some of it is pretty. It's not the the stuff that's obvious. Right. It's the materialism that grabs hold of my heart. 
It's the the little petty jealousies or envy, uh, envy that begins to grow in me. Uh, that might even sound uh, re- justifiable or, right. or religiously cloaked or anything, yeah. but it's there. Yeah, yeah. And I'm really interested in just staying in right standing with God now, more and more. Mm-hmm. It's like in a relationship with a friend, I when I come into a conversation with you, if there's something that's not been dealt with <laughs> or something maybe I'm holding that you don't even know, yeah. Uh, that creates a little bit of a barrier, even if I'm able to manage around it, right. smile and everything. My trust level's gone down. I'm less yeah, open. Totally. I'm more careful. But when we're in right standing, it's free. I, I'm laughing because my wife and I had that conversation last night. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Margaret. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, let's, let's jump to this. Sure. We've kind of alluded to it a couple of times. Uh, Pastor Keith used Joseph's life um, uh, a character in the Old Testament who who experienced a big promise moment. He had a couple yeah. of big dream vision moments where he was being, uh, you know, lifted to a, a place of of leadership and elevated above uh, even his family members, even his father, which was like that was weird. And um, and he tells his family about this, and they don't enjoy that. Uh, and he talked about how he wasn't ready yet for for the promise that he was wasn't mature enough um, for that promise to be something he could handle well. Right. And he goes through all these life experiences that are traumatic, uh, to say the least. And it comes to a point where the when the promises are fulfilled, I, I the way the scripture presents it, it's almost like he has a, a flashback moment when he's sitting there in front of his brothers. His brothers are bowing down to him in a respect, not even knowing that it's him. Yeah. And he realizes that God's promise was being fulfilled. But this is the ticket that I want to drive to that Pastor Keith mentioned. He says that, that uh, you what you intended for evil, God turned out for good for the saving of many lives. Right. So it wasn't for the good of himself. Right. So this is, this is a huge thing that I took away from the weekend, is when are we looking for promises to be something that is self- uh, um, I don't know, for for ourselves, something to be enjoyed, yeah. something to be experienced for our own, uh, our own sake, right. as opposed to the promises we see in Scripture. Even like the the biggest promises that we see, like would be to even the the, the tribe of Israel, and and they were to be a blessed nation, so they could show other nations right. that. Yahweh was the the one true God and be a blessing to right. the nations. So uh, all that that setup leads us to a point where what's the danger if we get it wrong and we're just taking all these promises, even when we see them come to fruition in our lives, we think it ends with us. And we think that the promise was there so we could have a more comfortable, safe, and happy life. What's What's the danger? What are we missing out on? I, I think the danger is the disappointment, uh, because I think that story is. Uh, Pastor Keith did such a great job uh, this last week, and it was such a great teach. Yeah. But I think with Joseph, um, he immediately grabs the promise and prescribes the direction. Right. Like he has an idea of how this should all happen. Right. And so I think we are very much in danger of that in our lives. Um, Promises that we see in Scripture, and then I determine that that means well that that means I'll have the, the spouse I want, and this is or, the way it's going to work out. Exactly, These are the steps I'll have to take. Exactly, and, and this is the I have a, already an idea of how this is all going to unfold, and inevitably that's a lot of disappointment. And Joseph's a really commendable human being. Yeah, one of the few in the Old Testament. Pretty incredible, <laughs> like really pretty incredible that despite all the kind of apparent and tangible setbacks, like there's no dressing them up. Yeah. This seemed to, this, from the point of the promise and being thrown into the pit by his brothers, everything seems to go the exact opposite direction, I'm sure, of everything Joseph thought it would go. Absolutely. And yet God in the end has the last say. Right. And the promise is always larger than us as an individual. And I think this is the danger too. And this is why I thought, and I really appreciate your emphasis, Matt, when you're leading worship and our teams and our community. Uh, we in Western Christianity 
have a uh, an individualistic approach right, to understanding promises, yeah. to understanding worship, to understanding faith. And yet you read in scripture and the individual is valued 100%. Yeah. And there is this intimacy of an individual relationship with Jesus that we have. And someday mm-hmm. we stand before him as individuals. Yeah. But the context is always corporate there. Right. And the the value of me being blessed or experiencing something, I, I don't read it in Scripture ever ending for my welfare alone. Right. right. It's for those that God has placed around me in my life and others. And so there's this kind of trickle effect that is beautiful in Scripture. But that's why you need accountability that comes in community. That's yes. why you need... Uh, you need to anchor your promises in community. Yeah, I, I hate to say this, but like uh, I think it was a uh, might have been uh, Pastor Rick Warren. It's one of those type of big voices. I forget yeah, who yeah, said it. Okay. That that you know uh, you can't obey, and he lists how many scripture uh, pro, mm. uh, commands in scripture without being in community. And this is the danger right. I think of living out your faith individualistic. You know when you come against like. Uh, a death in the family or or cancer or thing, you know you now need people. Right. But you've been living independent of people for that long. And I don't mean not attending church. Right. Being I mean known. Being known. Yeah. And knowing others. The value of that, Matt, and that's hard for me. <laughs> I'm so, I think because I've been a public person for 31 years, it comes with a fair measure of wounds, yeah. and you become a little it's bit a more cost. careful. You're so careful. You're so careful. You can be transparent from a a stage yeah. more than you can be intimate in a conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so being known is scary for me. Right. But I know without being known, um, without being in some sort of community where people know me as Jonathan and knows my quirks and quirks and love me despite my imperfections <laughs> and all of those things. Uh, without that, not only does it make it difficult to follow Jesus, but in those moments of hardship and brokenness, uh, that's where a lot of people, uh, uh, they realize what's left, mm. and it's not much. It's the classic deathbed thing, right? It is. Right, when you're sitting there, you're thinking over your life, what do you wish you had more of, Right. But I mean, community is one of the most difficult things to do, right? Uh, because it involves people. <laughs> well, like Matt, you know, honestly, I feel like as a discipline in your life, like I've admired the way you and your family do community by opening your house to others, but also leaning in with others. Um, Shelly and I, you've mentored up to Shelly and I. We've been, uh, we're old, much, I was going to say much older, a little <laughs> older. Uh, but, you know, we've admired the way your hearts are open. And it doesn't mean that you aren't careful. It doesn't mean that you are reckless with it. But uh, there's a cost. There's an expense to community. There's an energy spend. Yeah. There's a time spend. There's an inconvenience spend. And I, I see your values, kingdom values, played out in that you're willing to spend that. And that's been inspirational to Shelley and I. And I think in our woundedness and sometimes brokenness uh, because of 31 years of pastoring. Yeah. Uh, it's been fresh for us to uh, watch you guys and to lean in. I'd really encourage people, it's it's worth the risk. Yeah. But there, I don't want to minimize that, yeah, the, it costs. Totally. I, I, I don't think that the, the, the cost of individualism in, in our society is really, we've really seen the price that we miss out on that. And yeah. it, it actually makes it even harder to, and like you're, we, we talk about this as leaders in a church that we, we believe community groups are one of the most powerful things that people can, can do in terms of practicing community. Right. Uh, and yet we have harder time as leaders encouraging people to host a community group in their own home. Right. Because home has become a private space. Not, not a community and space. That's, that's very much a Canadianism. Yeah. Uh, it's not, obviously, cultures around the world are all very different, but we're a large country with a small population. We like our space. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's true in our homes, too. Yeah. Uh, but making space for yeah. others. Uh, man, there's few regrets. There's a few people in my life that I admire and I take notes from because they seem to be willing to make space. And, of course, 
there's a cost to it. But I'll tell you, I've seen those same people uh, in those places of hardship, and they don't have Job's friends hanging around. They have people hanging around them. This is true. Leaning in. It's absolutely true. How can can I add value to my my community right now? Oh, it's beautiful. It's the body of Christ. We've definitely seen that. It's the body of Christ. Yeah. Okay. So uh, last question before I want to try something together, sure. uh, and this will kind of lead us towards that. Pastor Keith mentioned type two spiritual diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> I love this 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 mental picture. Uh, if we're used to promise hunting, those fortune cookies, lucky dipping as you called it, uh, we're only tasting honey. We're it, we're just our palate is just only sugar. Uh, what are we missing out on though? Like what is the meat and potatoes if we're if we're just skipping from promise to promise? What is in between? Uh, you, you know, it's so funny. Just as you bring this up, I'm thinking about uh, just pre-pandemic, I, I went to black coffee as okay. opposed to coffee with cream and sugar. Right. Which I had a lot of cream and sugar in my coffee. And um I, it was like having dessert every time I drank coffee. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I loved, I love it. I love sweets. So yeah. And uh, it's so funny. It was so hard to go to black coffee, and I just thought this is a healthier thing to do. Right. So I went to black coffee, and it took me a while to develop a taste for it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't drink it now with cream and sugar. Interesting. Eh? I couldn't do it, and it doesn't mean I don't like my sweets. Right. But my sweets have a moment and a place. Right. It's. Balance diets are so healthy. Uh, and I think when we just create a faith on honey, again, inevitably there's going to be massive disappointments. But I do think, I like that type 2 diabetes, <laughs> but I do think you're missing the richness of Scripture. You're, you're missing the richness of a relationship with God. It's like building a marriage just based on romance. Right. It's unsustainable. It's unrealistic. You're going to put on your partner a burden that they can't possibly bear. Life is not all romantic. Now, uh, a marriage relationship with no romance, that, there's something wrong there too. But uh, I know that Hollywood and others, they want to sell you the honey. Right. That every relationship is always romantic. Every right. relationship is always uh, about the sugar. Right. And it's just not. Uh, relationships, meaningful relationships, are lived in the grind yeah, they, they're lived in the everyday, and then they have moments of honey, right? And I think that's how we need to understand scripture. This is a a conversation that we get to get in on between God and His followers and His creation and His people, and we get to understand Him. It's the adage of, "I wish I could help everyone understand the difference between looking for Jesus' hands and looking to His face." Right. His hands are kind of the, what can you do for me, Jesus? Right. What will you do? Transactional. Touch, touch me. Right. Heal me. Give to me. Yeah. And Rescue no, me. <laughs> yeah, and there's nothing wrong with those petitions. I think we need to be able to just shout out of our hearts. The psalmist gives us totally. permission to do it. But to look to his face, like, I love you, Jesus. Right. I love you for who you are. Mm-hmm. I love what you've already done for me. If you do nothing else, and this is Job's faith. If you do nothing else, I'm going to love you like this. That There's something beautiful about that that shows true love. Yeah. And I think I wish that for people as they relate to Scripture and as they follow Jesus. And if you are in a season like that, I feel like we can't go by without saying, uh, giving some baby steps there. Because uh, I, I've been in dry seasons. You've mm-hmm. been in tough seasons. Yeah. I've also been in seasons of spiritual immaturity, if I can yep. call it that, yep. um, where I was more transactional in my faith. Right. And it's really hard to even diagnose that, self-diagnose that and it say, I'm in, I'm in a transactional relationship. Um, I, I, if, uh, maybe I'll give two quick things if there's anything you want to add in on sure. that. Uh, first thing is just, just uh, do a self-diagnostic di- test, like right now, and just saying, Holy Spirit, am I, am I, what is my balance like? Yeah, search me, God, search totally. my heart. Yeah. And just spend a moment in prayer. It's amazing how powerful those moments are. Yeah. It's really hard for me to slow down uh, and get the noise floor of my life low enough that I can actually hear and listen to, to just that still, 
quiet voice of like almost like someone putting a finger on an area of my life. Right. And just a little bit of pressure there and feeling like, oh yeah, okay. Uh, so just inviting God to speak to you that way. Uh, and then the second thing would be to pray and ask God for a relationship to deepen. One of the most profound things I've ever experienced is probably a two-year period of my life where I kept asking God to be my friend. And I've been a Christian for a long time. I was already on staff here. Mm. But I had found in my in my walk with with God, in my relationship with Him, I knew so much about Him. But there was a, a discrepancy between how much I knew about Him and how much I knew Him and and felt close to Him. And I just kept praying for two years about. And it was amazing. It was actually through some spiritual disciplines that I discovered that I didn't know about before. I started experiencing a closeness with Jesus that I've never had before. And it was a, a bit of an answer to prayer in that sense. But I don't think it would have developed that hunger or um, maybe even desperation to try new things uh, if I hadn't have been praying that prayer. If I hadn't, if I hadn't been quiet enough to say, God, like I... Uh, are there, am I seeking your hand or your face? Like having that honest conversation with myself. Anything I, you want to add? Yeah. Well, like I think right, piggybacking right on that, I think Sabbathing is so important because right. you need to slow down to listen. Yeah, it's true. I remember being a church planter in my 20s, Matt, and uh, driving to a cottage that someone had let us use because we had no money. And I had Shelly was sleeping and the boys were in the car and we're driving. We we're in Nova Scotia at the time. And uh, I, I don't know, it must have had some worship on or something like that playing. I just started weeping. I just felt like God saying, you, you, you do so much right. for me, but you don't want to be with me. Right. And it was, uh, it was beautiful conviction. Mm. It wasn't condemning. Was calling you towards something. He was calling me to him. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I still feel chills when I think about that moment because it was so profound. I was just started crying in the car because yeah. I was just missing him. Yeah, and I had been around him doing his work and all of that, and I think Pastor Keith has said it uh, one way in, in a I've season. I've had your works. I have not had you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've I've yeah. heard him say that many times. It was very uh, similar to that. But I, I will say Sabbath. But I also say I don't want to undervalue community. Yeah, there is something about watching other people in their faith journey that helped me move from transactional to being. Every time we have a baptism. Oh wow, yeah. Those are those are my favorite moments in church. Yeah. Every time we have a baptism, something lights up in my heart. Right. Where I am having uh, what's it called when you through your offspring you experience uh uh whatever. You know, uh uh I'm experiencing through their eyes. Right. Like it's happening for me. Right. The fresh joy of oh, your my salvation. Goodness. You were reminded of it. I, I think David when he expresses that they return to me the joy of my salvation. Yeah. yeah. I think the longer you serve God, you need to be praying that prayer more and more because we take for granted some moment that happened and then we go into autopilot. It's why you celebrate an anniversary with your spouse. Yes. Why do we do that? Well, yeah. we're renewing our covenant, so to speak. Right. We're reminding ourselves that, like, not just what a great day that wedding day was because the wedding day may, may not have been that great. <laughs> like, it, we're reminding, like, like, what we have here, this is beautiful, this is special. This is intimate. Look how far we've come. This is exclusive. Yeah. Exactly. And you're renewing that. Well, with God, I wish we did that more as a practice as believers. And maybe we should do it on a weekend gathering, have a moment of just renewing your salvation right. because there's a sense of like, return that joy, just that beautiful joy of first love. Well, any if you haven't been baptized yet, I would say do it not just for yourself. Obviously, yes, such a powerful moment in your own life. Uh, it's a, it is a step. It is something that takes a little bit of bravery. Um, but what a gift to you, our community or the community you're a part of. And, you know, to those who don't know Jesus yet, your stand-up moment to say, I, I want to be counted as a follower of Jesus is just su super powerful. Anyway, okay, yep. we got we to keep growing here. Sure. Um, let's let's do reading practice here, here. So we've been talking about reading the Bible this whole series uh, and we've done this a couple of times, and it's one of the most fun things we can do. Yep. We were prepping for for this yesterday, and we were talking about reading scripture. And I, I mentioned to you that two nights ago, at Bible story time with my boys, I got to read one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. Oh, 
the road to Emmaus. And you were geeking out on it with me. We're like, okay, let's just do it's, this it's, on the podcast. It's, it's one of my favorite accounts in the gospel. And it's only it's only in the gospel of Luke. It's not mentioned in any of the other ones. Yes. And we could spend like yes, so long on this, but we'll try and narrow it down. So I thought, um, why don't we read the the scripture? Do you have it there? I do, yeah. So why don't we read the scripture, this this chunk? And it, it there's a chunk of it, but let's do it. And then um we decided we're just going to tie in on the end chunk. There is so much here that I would love to to spend hours on. I, I mean, th- if I could put my shoes, my feet in the shoes of anyone, it would be Cleop- Cleopas or however you say his name, yep. walking with Jesus and having him like this is what we, we we've been talking about. Um, and actually, this one of the reasons we we did this. We had a question. Uh, from from you, keep sending those questions. You got like a few more days. Uh, the question was: It is very easy for me to read the New Testament. Any pointers that can help me read the Old Testament? I just cannot seem to get through it. So here's a chance for us to do a little bit of that practicing of Old Testament, New Testament. We're going to dive into that in a mm-hmm. bit. But Jesus was going through the Old Testament with them and saying how it all pointed to Himself. And He's also like He's hiding Himself from them. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of us. Let's let's read it and then we'll start geeking out. Yeah, even as we're reading it, let's just remind people listening that uh, the Bible Jesus had, <laughs> right. so to speak, right? It is the the, the Torah and the prophets and the historical books that yep. we call the Old Covenants, the Old Testament. Uh, there was no New Testament then, right? There wouldn't be for uh, close to three hundred years for the first century Christians, right? So, uh, not to tip where we're headed this coming weekend, but they were anchored. They anchored their faith journey to the person of Jesus, right? Uh, and then Scripture reveals Jesus. Yes. So here we pick it up in Luke chapter twenty-four, uh, starting in verse thirteen. Uh, so why don't you give us the context, Matt? What's yeah. the post-text pretext? So th- this is in, in Luke's Luke's account. Uh, Jesus had just died. We get that three days later moment. Mary goes to the tomb. Uh, a bunch of Marys and right. some other women uh, go to the tomb. They experience an empty tomb, two angels. They don't even fully grasp what the angels tell them, but they go to the rest of the followers of Jesus, explain it. Peter runs to the tomb, finds it empty. They're all walking away with this weird combination of confusion, disappointment, and question marks. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, so out of that, the, those followers of Jesus, two of them decide to head to Emmaus. Right. And the and post the post text will be Jesus is, is ascends to heaven, and remember Luke writes this in the book of Acts, and they're meant to be back to back, part one, part two. Yeah, so like uh, uh, Doctor Van, I know he loves Luke and theology. Yes, He'll he often does. wish he wishes in the order of scripture that right. Luke and yeah. Acts would be paired. run, yeah, run together because they're kind of meant to be read that it's way. Like Luke one and Luke two, exactly. It's yeah. exactly like that. Yeah. But it, at the end of uh, the Gospel of Luke is the ascension of Jesus and Acts picks up on the next act kind of right. thing. So let, let's read, starting in verse 13. And so interrupt anywhere in sure, this map, sure, yeah, and yeah. We'll, we'll kind of geek out a little bit with this. So the scripture says this, Now the same day, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to with each other about everything that had happened as, as they talked, and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. That's crazy. So it's interesting context, right? So the, these guys are walking that seven-mile walk. They're leaving Jerusalem. All this stuff has happened. Jesus has been crucified, dead, gone. Yeah. And they're discussing it. Yeah, they're trying to figure out what is going on here. And then Jesus shows up and walks with them. It's a little bit of like mischief. Going on here, right? <laughs> In, incognito, right? In disguise. How did like? Why did he do that? That's so curious. There's so many things. Like I, I love those curious things, and you know, I'd say to anyone listening, whenever something strikes you in scripture and makes you curious, follow that. Oh, totally. Follow that. So it goes on to say, he asked them, "What are you discussing together as you walk along?" I I love that Jesus asked more questions than gave answers. Right. So the amount of practice, the eh? amount of questions that Jesus asks of his disciples, of the Pharisees, of the people around him, and he's the guy with all the answers, I know. which is fascinating. I, I think it's he asks questions for a couple of reasons. One is uh, to not to understand 
to help people understand where they're coming from mm. and where they're at. But he asks questions to pull like a great counselor does so that we can find truth. Right. A great counselor doesn't tell you what to do, Matt. A great counselor helps you to find it right. through questions. And it means so much more when you when you pull it out of your own heart, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so, okay, so it, this is... This is fat. I have this circled in my Bible. They stood still. Yeah, I know. They, they're walking. They stand still. Yeah. It's like they can't bring themselves to walk and talk. It is so sad. They yeah. have to stop. Yeah, right? they, they stand still. So this stranger comes up to them. What are you talking about? <laughs> and they stand still, faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you, are, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? That, that is cool, just as a note. Yeah, come. That how, how public it was that Jesus was cru- crucified. Yeah, everyone knows this. It's crazy. And I love his response. What things? <laughs> <laughs> My boys would, okay, this is the best part. I was trying to read it slow with them. And I was explaining to them. And then when they started catching on that Jesus kept asking about himself or talking about himself in third person, every time Jesus talked, they would they would giggle because they, they got the joke that, <laughs> you know. I wish, I wish we handled conflicts better like this and everything. <laughs> and we didn't presuppose. We asked questions, you know. Mm. What's that adage? Uh, better to ask questions than to read minds. Right. That, that, oh, that's it, a good it, one. So what things he asked? About Jesus of Nazareth, <laughs> but the guy standing in front of them. Cute giggle. They replied, he was a prophet. Very interesting. This is how they understand who right. he is. Yeah. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped. Yeah. So again, I have that circle. What was their hope? This is the, the crazy thing, right? Exactly. This and in, is what they saw Jesus, was, his potential was. In the older um, version of scripture, the King James version, it says, we had trusted. Uh, we had trusted. Interesting. And so where was their trust? In an outcome. Right. Hey. In an outcome. Nice callback. Yeah. But you, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, free them from the Romans. Exactly. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. Then he kind of transitions the story. In addition, some of our women, which is just amazing, Matt, that women are the witnesses here. Right. Because they legally did not have standing. They couldn't be used as witnesses in court. In fact, I, I think it might have been Cleopas's wife because they mentioned that the wife of Cleopas was Mary. Right. So Mary probably was at the tomb. It, it, it could be, that, could be. Uh, but but that's a that's a good um you know deductive reasoning. Right, could be. So in addition, some of the women are uh, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions again the men now yeah, yeah. <laughs> went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said but but he, him they did not see. He said to them, Jesus, and this is where I think partially lecture happens here in this moment. I love this. How foolish you are. Only Jesus can say it, right? How foolish you are and slow of heart to believe, to, to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Okay, hold on right there. Okay, come, come. How did they not know that was Jesus? Like, all of a sudden he's like, what happened? Yeah. And then he goes like, how did you not know that this was? And he call, calls Jesus, the, the third person talking to himself, he calls himself the Christ there. This is the, dangerous, uh, this is the danger of a framework that you have bought into lock, stock, and barrel. So I think we've said it in one of our weekend gatherings. Uh, maybe we've even said it in the podcast earlier. Uh, Dr. Timothy Keller often says this, and I love it. Is there something that your great-grandparents believed or your grandparents or even your parents, mm-hmm. you're now embarrassed they actually believe that? Totally. It's going to happen then, again. And then he throws it right at us and he says, so just know you're holding on to some of those things. Yes. So they had a framework that if Jesus was who he said he was, he was going to deliver them for the Romans. Yep. Great lesson for all of us and for me. Our, our outcome vision around God's promises are always much more short-sighted than his. Yeah, more temporal. Like, like that Roman 
eviction. Uh, if they, if he, Jesus had raised up, got a rebellion, evicted the Romans from there, it would be temporary in nature. Totally would be. But going after the jugular, going after evil and death and sin. Yeah. See how much smaller our vision is than that his? That move nobody saw. Yeah. It, like his, he's going, his ways are so much higher than ours. Yeah. So he's not settling on an evil Roman oppressive empire. No, no, no. He's going to the source. He's going for the jugular. And and this is the moments where you see the the meta narrative. Oh, exactly. Right? And this is when you say, okay, so if I'm going to take a promise for my life from this, it's that God. If I'm in a tough time, I might not even see it in my lifetime. What you're working, your plan is bigger than what I'm what I'm thinking. I often think of uh, I've read a lot around the construction of the old cathedrals. And during medieval times, and most of the stonemasons never saw the completion of their work. Right. They would sign up and they would begin to build these great cathedrals, Notre Dame Cathedral, Westminster, all of them. And they knew right away they would never see the completion of it. Right. Because it would take a couple of lifetimes to do it. Right. There's something beautiful about knowing we have a place. And it's not always to... Put the final stone in place. Yeah, we'll never see the, the fruit of our, our work. Is David fully. stacking the wood for the temple, but never being able to build the temple? Right, yeah. And I wish more of us lived for our, our children, our grandchildren, and successive generations that way. Uh, we're a part of something great that God is doing, but we're not the main act. He always is. Yes. And completion will be found when Jesus returns, right? Yeah, so, okay, so let's, let's keep going. So, how foolish you are, slow of heart, to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not Christ have to suffer these things and, enter, and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Yeah. So, again, the Old Testament and the New Testament ha- are inextricably connected. We are people of the New Covenant, people of the New Testament, but um, it'd be like understanding Judaism is really foundational to understanding Christ- Christianity because it flows Absolutely. from it. So uh, it's not that it's less relevant. I would say this as you read the old scripture, you're trying to you're trying to read it through the lens of Jesus. Right. And and we take it seriously because Jesus took it seriously. I, it, like Jesus taught from it. Right. Jesus... Uh, open the scrolls of the Old Testament. He didn't jettison it. He he brought it in uh, to the way. It was just an extension of what God was already doing from the moment that Adam and Eve chose a different direction in the garden. Yeah. And we are now people of the new covenant. Thank God as a Gentile. Yeah. I'm adopted in now. Right. I've been included. Uh, whereas previously this would be just for the Jews. Right. So it goes on to say this, as they approached the village, which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. I, <laughs> I, I just love these things. It's almost like he's seeing whether or not, like, will you, will you welcome me right. into the space? Will right. you, will you, do you want me? Are you going to, in your moment of mourning, are you right. still going to say, come traveler and, and right. eat with us? Right. Hospitality in the mi- right. midst of your pain, right? So verse 29, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. Now that would have been uh, hospitality. That would have been uh, expected in that culture and time yeah. too. Because if it's near the evening, if you have a traveler in need, you opened your home. Yeah, because there was a lot of danger exactly. traveling at night. Yeah. So then verse 30, when he was at the table with them, this is amazing here, right? I love this. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Verse 31. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. Now, this part is crazy. Keep going. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and open the scriptures to us. It just, just powerful. There's no moment in history I would rather be in than walking with them, hearing Jesus explain how everything pointed to him. There's no, like seriously. 
I, I have uh, written in my Bible, I've, you can see this chapter is all marked up and everything. So good. The word community right above that. Yeah. And let, let me read it, finish the story, and then I want to pop off on that. Uh, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. So again, they've just received, and what are they going to do? Yeah. Go on witness and mission. But, but the thing is, it was dark still. Right. They, but, but they're rejuvenated. They can't, they can't sit they, and wait at night. They are rejuvenated for witness. So they returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when, they, when he broke the bread. I know. So, boom. Jump, jump okay, off. Okay, so we don't got a lot of time because yep. we've had a good discussion today. Uh, but breaking the bread, th- that's that's a pointing to moment. So I'm just going to do a little bit of a, a breadcrumb trail sure. um, on, on some of the, the, the beauty of that. And then we'll come back to it. I'm going to go Old Testament. Mm-hmm. You go New Testament. Sure. So uh, he he was known to them by the breaking of bread. There's so many elements of that 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 I I love. Uh, one of them one of them being uh just that that act of being in community and having meals with him. There must have been some way he broke the bread or mm. something that was that's the Jesus way. He did it when he was feeding the 5,000, 7,000. He did it at the last supper with them and that would have been the last meal he had with them. And when he broke the bread, that was during the season of Passover. And uh, so he would have been breaking this bread that had symbolic meaning all the way back to the the people of Israel leaving Egypt. And so uh, let's take a, a jump right back to that Exodus idea. And we don't have time to read it, but I was going to maybe dive into, we've referenced this commentary uh, by Robert Alter. Uh, uh, it's so cool. We mm-hmm. don't have time for it today, but uh, some, some of the notes that I picked up from that... Uh, let me just take snippets from Exodus 12 where it talks about the Passover meal. Sure. And like when you read through them and you and you look at them in the, in this light, Jesus is is taking this this picture of of Passover and he's bringing it into uh uh like that moment was was a, a memorial. Mm. You would be a, a way of remembering annually what God had done for you. And Jesus takes it and says every time you eat have this memorial, and he's the the richness of the layers gets added on. So in Exodus, he's it the, is you shall take a lamb, and now Jesus is called the lamb, right? And and and, and there's that reference, that idea uh, that they're they're using uh, Jesus is the sacrifice this way, without blemish. Mm-hmm. Had to be a lamb without any imperfections, mm-hmm. just like Jesus, a male, and you shall keep it with you for two weeks. I love even how that picture of Jesus allowed himself to be in community for, for time. Mm. The loss of the lamb for a family wasn't something that would, would just be like, take one from the barn and that's, you know, like harvesting the, the crop. Right. It was a, a lamb that was kept in the home like a pet. Right. It was Jesus doing life with his, his followers and then experiencing his life being lost. Then, then his blood will be a sign, a symbol of covering protection uh, that's that symbol of 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 even painting the blood. That idea of the 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 sacrifice, the loss of life. Blood was this magical idea where that that was where the life was was for any animal or human being poured out, and that being used as a covering or protection. Uh, that symbol, Jesus pulls that right into that Passover moment. This is a memorial, but this is also my sacrifice for you becomes a covering. Uh, 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 replacement for that, that even that idea of Passover or sacrifice or anything in the temple, or all those images. Uh, so Jesus breaking the bread with them. There's there's almost like flashes of all these images that that we're pulling from that adds this richness. Um, so going to the question, how to read the Old Testament? Look for Jesus in it as much as you can, and you can start with just just little reference points uh, if you can. There's a lot of good online resources where when you're reading the New Testament, it can show you how it's referencing Old Testament scriptures. So if you're already enjoying the New Testament, it might be just saying, okay, when 
when he's breaking bread, what is that referencing? To, and uh, even like reading the the account of the the Last Supper, you might see some references of Old Testament, and you can go back and read them, and maybe read them, keeping in mind that these are references that are being made towards the New Testament. So that's that's a a brief just look at some of the richness that that's being pulled to in that moment. Well, that that's a uh, and that's beautiful, Matt. Like I I think the 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 double clicking down to me is uh, you're trying to find the connected pieces there. Jesus on the cross is quoting Psalms. My God, yeah. my God, oh, why my have goodness. you forsaken me? Psalm so read that. Read that Psalm. Psalm read that Psalm so and understand why is he pulling that into this New Testament reference and the moment and space that he finds himself in. But the power of community around um, you know breaking bread, whether it's with Cleophas and could be his wife or the fellow yeah. traveler. Yeah. Um, and the revelation that Jesus shows up in community. Yeah. For me, this is powerful. This is this is why and ritual can be either dead or you can seek to keep it vibrant and alive. I I have two uh, I have kids and every year we celebrate their birthday and I try to right. make it meaningful, not rote. Right. I don't try to make it like a just a, a facsimile of the previous year, right. and uh, I. But I always do three things when I celebrate the birthday. There's an aspect of I remember the day you were born. Yeah, yeah. I go back, and I go forward. I, I, I present. I'm so proud of who you are, and then I go future and many more. Right. And communion's like that. Communion goes back, right, and celebrates his death and resurrection. It is present application. Right. And the future hope. Right. And it all converges in that moment. So when Paul is talking about communion to the church in Corinth, uh, Corinth, he he talks about some rules around communion and how to take it. And, right. you know, uh, uh, that that if we take it in an unworthy manner, it's called, that we're, we're, we're taking it as judgment on ourselves. Right. And I, man, I grew up in a context where I thought like I was drinking poison because you know I had done some wrong things that week and yeah. And some communities have what they call closed communion. Only if you're a member of the church can you take it. We're not that community. It's whosoever will in our community. Right. And the reason we do that is we understand that scripture and examining ourselves it's about being in right relationship with people. Right. So if I hold something against you like don't don't take communion. Make it right with Matt first. Right. And then, then move into that moment and take communion. Why? Because communion is all about relationship. Right. The measure, measure and the depth of my relationship with God will always be measured by the depth and the health of my relationship with others. I can't separate them. Right. I can't say, I love you, Jesus, and I can't stand you, Matt. Uh, Jesus is going to challenge me on that. Right. That the depth of my love towards him is, and so many scriptures are like that. You know, if you don't forgive your brother, I won't forgive you. Like, right. there's it's, a lot of, uh, and I don't know why we struggle with that. I think we like compartments, mm-hmm. but as followers of Jesus, we can't compartmentalize these things. They're all connected, but over and over, the tone of scripture is love, it's relationship, and it's community. It's in the triune nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's expressed in his creation. And so communion is at the heart mm. of our connection to God and to each other. And this is why I will keep saying that in our culture and society, and we as a church, we're trying this. We're not there, but valuing the us and we right, uh, significantly more than we have in the past, uh, that it's not just about me and I when I go to church, when I gather with the believers, and of course, God's interested in what you're carrying into that assembly. Of course, we're there to encourage one another and sharpen one another and even confront one another. Of course, that's our role. But it's we, it's us. We're a community, we're a family. And we're a large church, but it, uh, we need to be in settings where we're known right, and where we can know. Yeah, yeah. Wow, uh, there's we we could go for for so long on this, uh, but we are definitely over time. Sure, yeah, this <laughs> um, is fun, Matt. Though, but this is so good, and I hope I hope you're you're tasting a bit of some of the even just reading that chapter together. Um, how fun is it to read this in community, right? Uh, just you and I sitting down and reading a scripture together. Try it sometime, and and to to see how each other views it. Yeah, and again, this is hermeneutics in community. 
there's something beautiful when people see life differently than me. Yeah. Is it frustrating at times? Sure it is. Everyone should believe like I do and see the world like I do. Thank God we don't. Yeah. You won't experience the fullness of God unless you experience it through the lens of others too. With humility. With humility. humility, Yeah. Okay. Well, we, we got to one question kind of this week. Uh, but we have actually been saving a bunch of questions for next week. It's going to be a question-heavy episode as our final episode in this series, Dangerous Conversations. And uh, I would I would uh, encourage you, if you haven't already, uh, head over to our website, drop your question in by March 26, and we're going to start comp- uh, com- compiling. We're going to compile them. <laughs> um, and you can even comment on these the, these videos too. If you're watching any of these episodes, throw a comment. We've been looking there as well. Thanks for all the great feedback. Mm. We've heard from a lot of people in our community uh, through a lot of different uh, avenues that people are, are enjoying these and, and being encouraged by them. Uh, we're definitely going to do this again. Actually, we just had a planning meeting a few days ago and we, we have another series coming up in a few months where we're going to try this again. So thank you for being along this journey with us. We got one more episode. We hope you will join us then. And of course, the final teaching uh, for the series is this weekend. So join us this weekend or next week uh, for this podcast. Thanks for being on this journey with us. Thanks for for joining me, Pastor Jonathan. It was my privilege. Thanks for having us. We'll see you next week.